This is episode number 26 of the Let's Talk Retouching podcast. Follow along when we talk with industry leaders and professional retouchers about all things post-production and retouching. Today's episode, an interview with Susan, a retoucher from California, and we will be talking the ins and outs of the retouching industry and natural retouching. The show is brought to you by our retouching studio, BoutiqueRetouching.com and Learn Post-Production. I also want to mention we just released two actions or scripts. One is an action that sets up visual aid layers for you retouching. The other one is a unique script that helps you to fix saturation issues very quickly. So head over to BoutiqueRetouching.com to get more information about that. So before we start with the interview, I just want to quickly mention uh, back when we recorded the interview, I was insanely sick and if the interview didn't flow properly, it probably was my fault again because I was sick. Nevertheless, it was great having Susan. I just want to give her exposure because she has such great work and doesn't do a lot of interviews. So it was great to have her on the show. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hello, Susan. Let our audience know who you are. My name is Susan. I live in Orange County, California, in Newport Beach. I'm a beauty retoucher, but I also do portrait and other types of retouching, like fashion. Yeah, I was stalking your website. I like how simple it is, but you have beautiful images, beautiful girls. And I would also like to mention that most of the images, they are still looking very natural, which is a good thing in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I am retouching, uh, I like to just remove the distractions, but leave natural beauty as it is. So I now want to ask, like, how did you get into retouching? Well, maybe let's start as like we all using Photoshop. But when was the first time when you discovered Photoshop? Uh, well, I went to college, so I had to take some classes in Photoshop and in Lightroom. Got my degree in graphic design and I got another degree in photography. So I had to learn all of it anyways. So when you when you look at where you are now with retouching as how far do you get in uh, an official course taking like classes in photoshop from my understanding is like usually they are pretty basic most of the time yeah yeah it's pretty much just learning the tools and what different filters do i mean learning how to build layers and stuff like that but everything else you kind of have to just mess around with photoshop and practice and learn by doing and that's the thing is like we, we all get to play around with it, I guess. And uh, most of the people who end up in retouching, they just had an interest in, yeah, getting better in, in skin retouching and hair retouching. Um, so can you imagine like when you first discovered retouching, was it also during the time you were on college or did it came later? I think it was in my last year or second to last year in college. I... I was looking at my images and I was like, well, why don't these look like what I'm seeing in magazines? And I wanted to figure out what I was doing to to change it and to make them more similar. I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to figure it out and just know how to do what other people were doing. Did you figure it out all by yourself or have you used the power of the Internet back then? Uh, I use the Internet a lot. I took some workshops and a lot of it was just practicing. For most people I know is they had this feeling of those images, they look so fantastic and I cannot get my images to look the same. And then there are different stages in learning uh, this retouching. Oftentimes we're, um, 
we are frustrated over the amount of time it takes to practice retouching until we eventually make some progress there. So how, how did this evolve for you? Uh, I would say I have a lot of patience. So uh, asking other artists to look at your work and to tell you what I think you're doing that you could improve on, always listening and never taking it personally when you do get a critique that you don't feel like is. That's really hard lessons to learn as to take critique, isn't it? Yeah, it is a hard lesson to learn, but the more you listen and the more you just sit there and take it in, the, the better you'll get. So when you finished your studies, how was your way then to get into this industry? Can you describe it's like, was it more design and photography based or have you always considered also doing retouching? Well, I knew I always wanted to do more retouching and more beauty and get into the, the beauty world a little bit more. But on the way there, I had to do other jobs. Um, I used to work for infographics company and I would make a presentations and just doing whatever it, it took to talk to people and network and tell people who I am and learn more about the industry was was really important to, to getting my foot in the door. I think it's just really important to take every opportunity that comes your way and to, to just go with it and try your best, even if it's not what you imagine you would be doing, just because you can learn so much from every opportunity you get. So do you still consider yourself being someone who is constantly learning about retouching and which fields do you, you dig in to get better? Do you look at other, other people's work or do you go outside of retouching and look more at um, what is trending in the makeup industry? Yeah, I definitely, I'm always learning. I There's always something new to learn, whether it's a new technique or how I can improve on techniques that I always already know. I'm always looking at magazines and advertisements and I'm walking through the mall and I'm looking at other people are doing and trying to figure out what's new, what's trendy and make it my own too. So just getting inspired by other people's creativity is important. For, for people wanting to work in the high-end industry, let's call it that, uh, you have to know what, what's going on in the industry because your clients are demanding a certain type of style or um, result. And do you consider yourself as a specialist who has a certain style or do you consider yourself being a service provider who has to make the client happy even if it means getting away from a little bit your personal style just to make the client happy? Um, I think it depends on what the client expects from me. A lot of the time they just want my what I usually do to images to make the skin look well. But sometimes I'll get revisions and they'll want it to go further and further. But I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to make the client happy in the end so that we can agree on a good looking image. The best briefing you can get is like, oh, do whatever you want. And after that, they come with revisions and stuff. So yeah, for sure. Uh, it happens sometimes, but most of the time people are, they know my work and they know how I'm going to approach the problems that they have in their images. And they're usually happy with the results, which is a great feeling. Yeah, it is. Especially when, when they come to you for the stuff you love doing and like doing. Speaking of making beautiful images, we have this segment here where we talk about what tools you're using to make things happen for you. So how does your idea workstation look like? What tools are you using to, to make things happen? Um, 
I have a MacBook Pro that I use. I don't have a full desktop computer yet. I also use a Wacom tablet, the Intuos Pro. And it, it's been around for a few years, so it's kind of old, but it still works pretty well. Well, they never break. That's the thing. Oh, they, they don't. They don't really. Just out of interest, is it, do you have the small or medium size? What are your, What's your preference there? I have the medium size, but I don't use the full area that's on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I think I could do with a small one. I mean, all over the internet, people ask, like, which tablet should I get? And I like to say, usually the small one just fits fine. So I am also someone who is mapping the area down of the small one. Yeah, so you don't have to move your whole arm around when you're... And it just does... It's less tiring. Right. So I can see when you come from a design background and want to make really smooth curves without the pen tool and stuff and, and really paint on something, and then obviously a bigger surface is much more natural. What I find like for retouching, we do so much of uh, very tiny strokes and do thousands of them. So yeah, yeah, it's the same for me. I use it a very small area and you can tell because it's it's really worn down in the corner. Yeah, we call that like the retouchers where are the Wacom scratches. Um, they look nasty after a while. So yeah, again, you have your, uh, you said a MacBook Pro and mm -hmm. Wacom tablet. How is it about color consistency? Do you calibrate? Yeah, I use the X-Rite and I, I, I calibrate probably every two weeks. That often? Yeah. I just want to keep it consistent for everyone. Let's talk about when you're working on your laptop is like, how does it come you are like, I know a lot of people who, who do not want to work from home and I am someone I need to be at in the same place every time because I cannot have the environment change around me and because it influences my how I see things on the monitor. So how did you end up coming to the decision not changing anything on your desk, even though you have a laptop? Um, well, I, I can work in other environments. It's not hard for me to move to a different place and work, but I am a mom. So I'm usually going and dropping off my son at school and then running back and working and then going and picking him up and then taking him to a tutor and then taking him to hockey practice. But My life is just so busy that I don't have the freedom to go places and feel like I can like sit down and I just have to be like prepared all the time to go do something else. Yeah. Yeah. With children, it's like they are demanding. So I don't have children, but I have a cat and she also. Usually when I record the podcast, she is very demanding. <laughs> Similar. <laughs> a friend of mine just said they are like teenagers sometimes. They just don't care what you What do you want to do? They just interrupt you. Oh, yeah, their attitudes are, are similar to children. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So let's get back to the hardware. Is there anything else uh, on your desk that you need to work? Not really. I just, I mean, I have to have like the TV on or some some sort of back background noise in order to work. Mm -hmm. I can't work in silence. I prefer a TV show. Yeah. I mean, something that you don't have to go back and watch or. Yeah, sure. Something like a comedy so you, you can kind of hear the jokes sometimes or something educational. I have to try it. So, okay, we just talked about all the hardware you have. So now let's get into software, the fun stuff, so to speak. Okay. So let's talk about your workflow. When you get your images, how do you start with them? It's like you copy them on your machine or have an external drive. And then how does the process of retouching begin for you? Um, well, I usually upload everything to Dropbox. I, I ask the clients for raw files so that I can work from the beginning to the end. And I also save to an external hard drive just in case. 
Um, I always open everything with Capture One first and mess with the raw file and try to make the image pop more. Yeah. But I don't do color with Capture One usually. Yeah, that's a good topic just to talk about. I just today saw someone uh, posting a video like how to do um, color grading in, in Capture One. Mm -hmm. But when we consider we are working for a client, can you explain why you do not do the color in um, or much of the color work in Capture One? So a lot of the times the client will have an idea of what they want done with the color, but they're not 100% sure. So I'll, I'll save the color until the end of Photoshop and leave that on a separate layer. And I'll usually send them two copies, one with color grading and one with just the regular color corrections. So they can look at the difference and decide which direction they want to go. And that's the thing that you just mentioned to do it last is to have the option to make changes again. Mm -hmm. It's hard to go back once it's it's like not on a layer. Like consider like if you were to do all the very heavy contrast and color adjustment in Capture One already, then do your, all your retouching, send it to client and your client says, mm, not exactly what I want. Worst case for you is like to have to do everything again. You have to start over from the beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's w what you want to get to is like doing it at the end. So how do you export then your variants? That's an interesting thing to know about people. It's like, do you export it from Photoshop to make your two different versions or do you go back to Capture One? I just use Photoshop and then export as a TIFF so that they can open it and add their own color grading if they want to later. So yeah, you said you start with Capture One. Is Capture One always your go-to software to process RAWs or... Unless the client asks me to start with Lightroom because they've made adjustments, mm -hmm. um, I, I always use Capture One as my own personal preference. When I first got Capture One, I opened the files, in one in each program, just to compare how they rendered the raw file. And I noticed in Lightroom, it was less colorful and uh, more faded. The Capture One had more of a pop and it was more yeah. contrasted. And I prefer that look. Yeah, I did the same. So, so what I found, which bugs me a lot, is skin tones in terms of Adobe makes the transitions to the um, darker skin tones often a little bit gray looking. And in the very, very dark areas, if you have like super, super dark just before black, you have this weird noise going on all the time and in Capture One, it's not there. Yeah, it renders them very differently. If you look really closely, you can yeah. tell. Oh, yeah. So when you get into Photoshop, I obviously assume you are using Photoshop and not GIMP. Yeah. So how does your, your regular workflow look like, uh, despite from doing color fast? Uh, I always start with a healing brush layer and I just heal all the texture that needs to be healed. And then I move on to dodging and burning. And most of my workflow is those two steps. So you keep it minimal, like super minimal. Very, yes, yes. That's a good thing. I've seen people, they're using pretty much a layer for every area on a face that they work on and end up with like 50 layers for a beauty image or something. Slightly overkill, I would say. Yeah, I try and keep it very, very small. I mean, that's the best way for me to keep it natural is to, to make sure that I'm not going too far. I think it proves someone who works professionally to not add layers when you don't need to. You said already that you mapped down your area to not put too much stress on your shoulder and arms. Have you considered using anything else? 
um, the other tools. Um, maybe just because I never tried them or I, I was getting by with what I had. So I never really needed one. But it's interesting to, to like compare. I just recently lost for my premiere and audition. Uh, I lost my profiles in that gaming keyword. And now I have to reconsider where I have to map which comment. I basically, you just learn it by heart and not think about what key you're pressing, basically, or which letter it was. So if you lose your profiles, then you're like, okay, can't work. It's like not having any keyboard shortcuts available. Yeah, maybe it's a good idea for us all to write down our keyboard shortcuts so we don't we don't lose them forever if they if they disappear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the same with backups. It's like you start doing backups when. <laughs> When yeah. it's too late <laughs> it's hard to start working in a different way after you've you've lost your profile oh yes what speaking about that is um when people have their first experience with wacom tablets that usually doesn't end well and most people just put it away after trying it once yeah i, I can tell you right now that i had a wacom tablet for over a year and i didn't use it because i just couldn't like figure it out or my hand did not like using it. And then someone convinced me to give it a week. You have to sit down and try not to you just put the mouse away. Yeah, it's just getting used to something new. And once you get it, it's it's kind of like you can't go backwards. You have to you have to keep using it. Yeah, there's no way it couldn't work without a tablet. And now we can talk about all techniques and how we retouch. But I think professionals are identifiable by how clean they work in terms of their layer structure and what they are what they're doing and also like how efficient they work i'm sure you can agree with that as like being efficient is the most important thing when when you want to do this as as a business yeah i think you just have to be smart about it because clients want good images and they don't want you to take days to get one image done so you really do have to refine how you work in order to be efficient i would say that i've just learn to, you know, keyboard shortcuts, moving them all to one side so that I don't have to move my hand around a whole lot to get to the buttons that I want and just making sure that I have those ready to go. Yeah, it's a, these little things, right? To not lift your hand, not lift your arm, not having to go all the way to the right to just to get to a tool and stuff like this. So these. Yeah, and I would say that that's another thing that you kind of had to get used to is the keyboard shortcuts. They're definitely worth learning. Yeah, it's like, as you said, it's like, especially now with the more recent updates, they give you all the possibilities to adjust your workspaces, like not only to remap your keyboard shortcuts, but also to map your tools panel and to put it in different places and put tools that you don't need away. And as you said, like when you use keyboard shortcuts, you, you don't need them and you just can make space for your, your image to, to work on. Yeah, I've moved all my tool panels to the right side so that I just have my image on the left and then I can just click through easily if I need to get to something new. Yeah. What, you, you, what you've been mentioning is like you're working from home. And um, so how is it for you to work from home considering we have to do retouching? Usually we're not being able to do it in bed or on the couch so we we are stuck in front of our computers at our desk for long hours so how do you manage that I, i would say that you have to kind of push yourself to get the work done but also remember that you need to take care of yourself and one of the things that i've noticed is i if i have a lot of work 
I try and get through a lot of it and I really need to take the time to to just be with people and go outside. And it's really important to to do those kinds of things because you do start to get lonely and there are other things that you need to to worry about when you're working from home. Yeah, I see it there's short time effects and there's more long time effects of doing things from yeah, from home is I think many of us we fall into this trap of not taking breaks and not getting away from our desk and trying to push through it and we without noticing that we get slower and slower and less efficient over time. Yeah, you burn out. I think the most important thing is to also be honest with your clients about turnaround times because if you know that you have a big group of work that you need to do and then someone sends you more work, you just need to give yourself that extra couple of days to to finish it and let them know that way you can take care of yourself the right way. I mean, we also see it as like, okay, that's our income and we have to, the more we work, the more we can make. But also over time is like, you're not efficient enough to make good decisions and it might cost you more time because you make mistakes maybe and your clients come back with more revisions. Um, yeah, it's definitely really, really important to take on the work when it comes to you. And I, I try to, to get to all my clients in a fair amount of time just to keep them happy and keep them coming back and keep the money flowing in because that's that's one of the reasons you have to do it. But also, if you feel like you've gone, you know, a couple of weeks without leaving the house, it's definitely important to, oh, yeah. to tell your clients like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to work today. There are some people that just do not work on weekends. So you're probably not one of them. Yeah, I work weekends. I am always working, always answering emails and talking to people about, you know, what I can do for them. You just mentioned your client relationship. So I know many people who are just getting into any field in the creative industry, they're struggling with making connections. So what's the most important thing for you to, to deal with your, especially retouching client as we focus on the post-production uh, in this podcast? Yeah, I feel like going to conferences and expos and really meeting people face-to-face -face is one of the important aspects of getting yourself out there and getting recognized because they're not going to remember you if you're just sending a small email. They're going to remember you more if you if you go out there and you, you look them in the eyes. Especially the beginners, if you're after photographers and trying to retouch for them, yeah, conferences is where photographers go. I mean, not everyone, but there are a bunch of them around there. Or just going to like meet up with people and trying to make friends with people online is, is a great way to also push yourself. It's time for a commercial break again. The show's brought to you by BoutiqueRetouching.com, our retouching studio, and LearnPostProduction.com. Also, if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, subscribe wherever you're tuning in to this podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else. And now I just teased that in the intro, we have just released two little products that come with dedicated video tutorials. So if you go to our website, boutiqueretouching.com and visit our store, you will find our Visual Aid Pro product, which is a set of three help layers that help you see images in a different way. So you can separate your image into luminosity values, saturation values and hue values and work on these independently. And it will help you to see problems in your images better and fix them quickly. So the second product is the Satisfy script. 
And I am really proud that we put this together. So it is a semi-automated way to fix oversaturated areas in your image. And it works pretty quickly. You just have to do one or two little adjustments on the mask that it gives you and you're pretty much set. Yeah, it's a unique way that I haven't seen done before and it comes with a tutorial how to use it and make the best use out of it. So if you're interested in that, head over to boutiqueretouching.com. The two products are on sale until end of July 2019. And now let's get back to the interview. So Susan, now I want to ask for how long are you actually doing this? How long are you retouching? And how long did it take you to get to the point that you were comfortable taking clients? Um, so I've been retouching for probably six years, but I didn't feel comfortable taking on clients until probably the last two years. I was just building myself up. Mm -hmm. So was it that you didn't feel comfortable enough or was it just not on your radar that you could do this to make money? No, I definitely knew I wanted to. I just wanted to be able to put out consistent results before I actually took on a business. So I wanted to make sure that I was consistent and that I could produce a good enough image for a happy client before I made those client connections. That's a good thing because like it's easy to lose clients and to mess things up, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you structure your, um, your business side? As, as you mentioned you're using Dropbox for file exchange. Um, is there anything else that you, that you use in terms of how you manage your client communications? So I guess you have your contact form on the website. Do you use anything else to, like, to manage your projects and your client communication? Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting that a lot of clients choose to message me through Instagram or through Facebook and communicate with me there. And then I'll give them my email and they'll be able to contact me through email. But a lot of the time it's social media that brings people to me. Yeah. Is it easy for you to manage? For myself, it's like I get requests on Instagram, but I'm usually using um, a CMS to manage all my contacts and leads and everything. And it's hard for me to keep track of what I have discussed with a client when it's going via Instagram. Yeah, I try and take notes so that I can keep up. You know, if you have like a lot of people talking to you at once, it's hard to, to keep really organized. But I'm a pretty organized person as far as trying to keep up with each person. And I do ask them to drop me their email and also like a website or a link so I can see their work so I can kind of put imagery to the name. And that kind of helps me to stay a little more organized. Yeah. Yeah. You, you basically estimate is like what they're aiming for, what they're not saying is like looking at their work, what they like, what they put in their portfolios, getting a sense of, yeah, what your client wants for your outcome. Yeah. So that, that way it's easier to give them a happy result, you know, when you've seen their work and you can kind of keep up with it. Looking at your retouching work, you clearly have a focus on beauty and skin. How did you end up deciding for this? Was it that you always had an interest in this or how did you decide to, to focus on this? Um, I guess I just kind of gravitated towards the beauty images when I would look through uh, magazines and other people's work. That's just kind of what I liked. Also, I really like a lot of detail in work. I like up close and very complicated i don't know something that takes a long time like a puzzle 
Yeah, I would say that like texture is something that has always caught my eye. So with skin texture, I've always had a thing like to to get it right. So maybe that's why I like it so much. Speaking of skin texture, is frequency separation something you like to do or do you stick with more traditional ways of retouching? Yeah, I don't use frequency separation because I think that it kind of ruins the transitions a little too much for mm -hmm. me. I know I prefer to just do that with the dodge and burn. So I've been looking at a lot of people, how they do retouching and trying to help them. And many think uh, when they do a frequency separation that they do not have to focus on the texture, which is odd to me because like when you look at skin texture and have worked on the lower frequencies and have not worked on the high frequency layer or messed it up, destroyed the texture is like many people just don't see it. But I think it determines so much of how healthy and uh, how moist skin looks like if the, t the skin texture and the highlights is right. I wouldn't say more than everything else, but to a huge part of the image and what maybe clients in the beauty industry want to see. Yeah, that's just one of those things where you have to kind of study what skin should look like and what it looks like with a gloss on it versus a powder and knowing what the highlights should look like versus just eliminating something that should probably be there. Yeah, I think that if you can like look at an image and imagine what it feels like, like what it would feel like to touch it, then you should be able to kind of imagine what you should leave in, what you should take out as far as texture, especially like with products. You also have to consider like bone structure and stuff too, as far as the shadows. You don't want to take out every single, you know, mark in the face if you know that you got a cheekbone there. Oh, yeah. But it's the same in, in the makeup industry, like with makeup artists that are not working in the higher higher end markets. They do tons and tons of contouring and it doesn't, like when they're not experienced in working with beauty photography, they're going to doing makeup for events maybe and stuff and where contouring kind of works. But in photography is like your bone structure is what determines where the highlight is falling. You cannot do much to change that with makeup I, th I think that like contouring is more it's better as an art form in itself um if you're gonna do a lot of girls use it for like an instagram selfie and stuff like that to make their faces look different but when you get up close with the beauty photography you can see the powder so it loses its point or also if you use foundation it kind of smears into the skin pores yeah it's hard to correct once it's on there and you can see it and i think that's another thing that i've done is really try to study makeup and how it affects the skin and what what different things do. But then you can probably say it's like the less makeup on the skin, the better it is to retouch, isn't it? Yeah, it just depends on what they're trying to do with it too. You don't want to see like clumps of makeup on the skin when you're trying to retouch a beauty image. But if it's done really well and really clean, like the makeup artist took a lot of time to, to put it on there and apply it correctly, then it, it can help you. But As soon as freckles are gone, it's like, I'm, I just want to run away. Oh, yeah. You want like a really light coverage if they're going to do that or only cover like problem areas. Definitely don't take the freckles out. <laughs> But freckles are like, it's the best thing to happen to any retoucher usually because like you can see if someone is properly retouching an image. If you are retouching and keeping all the freckles in and still making things look more consistent and smooth. Yeah, I definitely love freckles there. Great to look at. 
<laughs> but then uh, usually when they're in a beauty image, the artist wants as many freckles and as, you know, contrasty as possible. So they really pop out. We once did a thing like posting Frecker Friday images. Oh, is that a thing now? That's great. <laughs> well, I once did it, but I stopped doing it because I don't get too many images that for once I can post and not everyone has freckles. But for why I did that, it's like because I like freckles so much. Yeah. It should be a thing. Yeah, it should be a thing. Should start it back up. Well, we could try to do it. Maybe <laughs> on Instagram that's going to work eventually. Freckle yeah. Fridays. Yeah, we should start it again. Next Friday, I put into my calendar the Freckle Friday. I'm going to tag you. So Okay, good. Do it. <laughs> so now asking, like, where do you go for inspiration? Huh? Where do I go? Um... You know, <laughs> that was like a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, if you want to make some suggestions? I usually go to other people for inspiration and, you know, Instagram has a lot of really good inspiration on there and following other creatives. I mean, that's one of the things that you can do to feel inspired. I mean, somebody's always coming up with something new and making it their own. So when you recommend going to places, are there also like things people should get themselves, like a certain type of magazine, especially for beauty image that you prefer? Um, I think... For magazines, I don't usually subscribe to anything, but if, I, if I'm if i looking at magazines and I see something that really stands out, I might grab it just because, you know, you could be inspired by different techniques or different looks and they usually come up just randomly for me. Sometimes it's just finding like a photographer's work and going and looking through all their stuff and realizing that they're just like so inspiring. Yeah, and then you reach out to them and it's like, hey, shouldn't we work together, right? <laughs> yeah, that can happen. That would be the idea case. Yeah. So I get asked a lot, it's like, oh, I'm kind of new in the industry and how do I reach out to clients? Well, if you feel like you can relate to somebody really well and you really look up to them, then there's no better way than just to tell them. Like writing an email, making it personal and really complimenting somebody. Well, I feel like even like established photographers enjoy a good compliment. I mean... Everyone likes to be complimented. <laughs> oh, see, that's the advice that people need to hear. Mm -hmm. What I like to bring up is uh, if you have found maybe a photographer that you like just recently and like something about a certain series of images, then tell them what that specific thing is that inspired you or you like about this series. That is a good way of approaching someone instead of just like, hey, I like your work and maybe we can figure things out. Definitely. Just really generic stuff versus like, wow, your work is amazing. Like it really inspires me. And this is what I do because of you. I mean, something like that. I mean, just letting somebody know how something has affected you. is It's a different way of approaching somebody. Awesome. That's cool advice. So anyways, I think that's ending an episode with getting advice how to reach out to clients and um, yeah, where to go to find new stuff. I have fireworks going. <laughs> Can you hear that? Yeah, I heard them. So much for recording. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's one way to end it. <laughs> yeah, usually it's the cat, but today it's fireworks to end the episode. I could just say it's like we have fireworks just for you because you were so awesome on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> but you were. Was super nice. Yeah, you gave super great advice and was great to get an insight of yeah how you manage your clients and where you go. So what's coming up next for you? You mentioned going to Iceland. What's next on your plate? 
I think I'm just going to continue going to conferences and trying to meet people. And honestly, like just being outside with, with other creatives, is just different feeling than staying inside and retouching. Yeah. It's much different just on your own and yeah, not getting to see anyone. Yeah. Well, I just went to the photo plus conference in New York city. And when I came home, I was so sad because I had such a good time. It was, it was, it was hard to come back home. So this was it. Episode number 26 is a wrap. Officially done. Thanks for sticking around. Thank you, Susan, for doing the interview. And I talk to you in the next episode. Okay, and before you go, I want to say thank you for listening to our episodes. It means a lot to us. Please consider subscribing as you made it all the way through this episode. And I talk to you in the next episode. Bye.